Hello and welcome to episode 8 of Football Revisited. As you can probably hear, the usual host has picked up an injury this week. Been overplayed. Klopp did call it. So, this week you've got me, Clear, in the host chair and I'm joined by Luke Butler, Butts and Rob Owen. How are you both, gentlemen? Very well, thank you. Rob, you're looking good. How's it going? Uh, how's this week gone, Bill? Well, in fantasy-wise, it's been the, a horrible week, as it has been for the previous nine game weeks. Well, look, two, two game weeks, I think, have been decent for me. But um, I always have this thing where, coming into a weekend, this is what settles if I'm going to have a good week. And it's normally fantasy wins and fantasy NFL fantasy win. That's all I had this week was an, was an LFC win. I'm going to have to take that because it was a very good LFC win. So I'm doing decent. I'll take on. We'll be able to have your week on. Nah, going to be happy, could I? Spurs win, Wales win in rugby. I've won my NFL draft game, top of the league in that. And, you know, I lost in fantasy football, but, you know, I'm in with a shout, so all's good. Well, after 271 days away, fans were finally back at Premier League and football grounds around the country. First impressions, did it make a difference, Rob? Well, it's quite a hard question to answer because uh, it's still like only a smattering of fans. Obviously, I, I don't know the, what numbers of, of fans are actually allowed in, but um, it, was, it was nice to see them back in, like especially like West Ham, Spurs, Liverpool. I think it's a bit too early to say if they're going to be making a huge difference. Uh, me personally, I think that, that small number, okay, it's, it's good to play in front of them. But I think these teams would have been winning anyway. Look, uh, we, Rob spoke about there the, the, the smaller numbers. So I think 2,000 um, was what was in the Premier League rounds for our Tier 2, which the majority are. Um, and then you've got 4,000 for Tier 1. Um, there's no Premier League team who are in Tier 1, I don't think. No. Um, but watching the games you watched this weekend... Was there a different feel to it? Was the enjoyment a bit more? Was, did it, was it more than... I'd say, yeah, I'd say it depends on the ground. So if you take, for instance, West Ham, I don't think it really made a difference, to be honest, because obviously they're quite far away from the pitch. But I definitely know still watching Chelsea Leeds. You can hear the fans a lot more. Um, <laughs> the Spurs game, they were only in one stand. And it definitely made a difference in the start of the game. You could hear them chanting, you know, kick-off. Lacazette kicked it out off kick-off. So... Attribute that to the fans, not used to it. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think it has made a bit of a difference. It's definitely made it more enjoyable to watch. Um, but yeah, obviously, it'd be nicer to get some more fans in sooner rather than later. Did either of you watch the football with the fan noise on, fake one, or did you go with the, the standard? I, I, I turned it off. I had whatever the fans were doing, that's what I could hear. I yeah. Fake fan noise on. But, uh, I, I'm, I'm not too fast on either of them, so I just chuck on whichever one is top of the list. Fair. So it's not a Because you you've been very vocal about uh, your lack of enjoyment of football games the last six months. And now you I, find honest, I actually did think it made a huge difference. Yeah. And even with the small number, um I honestly I thought I, I just thought it just seemed so much better. Um, I watched Liverpool on um, Sunday night, where I think there was 1,500 in the cup. And I think Salah scored, then you had a chance and you could hear the Salah song. Then you could hear the Firmino song when he, when he nutmegged someone. And honestly, my mood just uh, it was just so much better. Um, I agree with you with the West Ham. But I think there's also, I think the bigger the stadium, obviously, the, you know, and, and I think there's a lot to be said about the fact there's the track around it. It does make a difference. Um, because I thought Stamford Bridge was very good. Um, and there's little things like every time Laurent did a centre back on the ball and they were jeering him. Like, yeah. I missed that. Like, I, you need <laughs> that. Like, do you know what I mean? It's, um, so I, I just enjoy that. One thing I was asking you, I don't know if any of you saw um, Max Ahrens for Norwich. Um, he celebrated by jumping and hugging with one of the fans. Uh, not, not the best idea at the moment. No. I know the EFL have had to send reminders out to all clubs. Yeah. About standards, um, did any of you? I personally don't notice it, but did any of you think, oh, players are more aware of where they are in terms of 
how far away they are from the, from the stands. For example, I noticed Liverpool when they were clapping their fans, they were so far back from the cop, <laughs> like they thought were two meters. I think they were twenty five meters away. Um, <laughs> And when they were scoring goals, I know some of them looked towards the fans. Um, was there? I, to be honest, I didn't really notice that, to be honest with you. But um, what I would say is when you're watching the game, I think it's nice to kind of, especially when there's little moments in the game, you kind of look at the, the fans. They might not be doing anything, but somebody might be, I don't know, shouting something, somebody might be singing, you know, somebody might fall over. You don't know, something funny could happen. It was just nice to have something different to look at and get back yeah. to a bit bit more normality. And to be fair, even though there's only 2,000 fans, because they're quite spaced out and they've obviously done well to, to fill the stands, it does actually look quite good, I think, instead of all of them being bunched in. You know, obviously not to be bunched in today, but I don't know, it just looked nice on the TV. And yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Rob, uh, there are 10 clubs allowed to have fans back as we end, which obviously meant there was 10 without... Um, I know Slavon Bilic, West Brom, so obviously that's in Birmingham, um, was quite vocal about the idea that there shouldn't be fans and they can all go until every club can have fans back. Where do you, um, where do you stand on that? Do, do you think it's fair that 10 could and 10 couldn't? It depends where you want to stand on how much a crowd plays a difference. Um, if, you want to, if you want to stand on the side where you know, the, the crowd is the 12th man, and they can, you know, they can be that that extra help. Then teams like West Brom and Man and the Manchester teams are suffering. But you then flip it to the other other side, which is where I'm more kind of lent to. Look, this is just you. It's eleven v eleven. Go out and show that you're better. Don't take any distractions. No, no other distractions out there. You go and play football. I think that was a classic manager tactic of deflecting from. A five-one loss at home. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's an excuse. No, no I, I'm serious. I'd be saying, mate, I'd be, you look after your own players because at the end of the day, when your players got sent off in the first half of one-all, and you lost five-one, so maybe you should be looking elsewhere. Well, it's interesting you say that, but because I'm going to spring something on you know, boys. We haven't discussed this on our agenda. However, I will bring it up. I love it. We'll only have a short convo. I'm going to put a timer on. It's going to be five minutes and five minutes only. VR had quite a big effect on that game with a sending off. Yeah. No. But in your opinion, was there enough there to send him off? Well, after giving a book in, I think he gave. Yeah. So I think I said when we were chatting about it on the weekend, it's never a red card, I don't think. I have seen the son, you've mentioned the son when last year. And he lifts his foot up, and you can see him push his foot towards the player. He might not make much contact, and let's be honest, it's not going to hurt. But that's besides the point. The one on the weekend, I don't think he actually pushes his foot towards uh, the player, uh, Van Arnold. But at the same time, I'd be saying, why are you even putting yourself in that position? You've seen VAR the last 18 months. You know how bad it is. You know how bad some of these referees are. Don't even give them a sniff at sending you off. Just take a yellow card and move on and hopefully you don't get booked again. But yeah, it's one of them. It's it's a bad decision. But at the same time, the players have got to take responsibility as well and go, don't give the referee decisions to make. So, yeah. Rob, that decision was then overshadowed by another decision on Monday night. The Brighton Southampton game. Kyle Walker-Peters, my first question, is it outside the box? And the second question, what on earth are we doing with VR, Rob? <laughs> well, uh, let me just tell you, I don't think I can answer the second one. Um, I, I don't think I can answer the first one. It's like, like you were saying earlier about like fans being back is kind of like giving you a lift um, to watching sport or watching football. Um, but like when we started this podcast, I made a thing of like just wanting to watch more and more football, watching those you know, those shocker games that I wouldn't normally watch. And yeah, I think there's a VAR is now the new reason that I don't particularly want to watch you know some of the big games. Like Spurs have got the Saturday night slot, not really as invigorated as as I used to be because of VAR. I think there's a couple of more decisions 
over the weekend where we're just like, look, the, why, what is the point of having this help there for the referees if they don't know how to use it? Or if there's the, the guidelines aren't clear, if the the phrasing isn't suitable, it's it's an absolute, I was going to swear then, but it's an absolute mess. It's can I, absolute, and it, you can swear. Sorry, can I ask you just a question? Do you know, sorry, if you just think of that Palace West Brom game, the red card in that game, and then the Southampton Brighton uh, VR one. Is there in? Is there if VR wasn't there, and night and ends up like it did, would there? Would we have any? Would we be discussing now how bad a decision it was that they weren't given? No. No. Because especially it, the one last night, it wouldn't even. I think they said M M and F. It wouldn't have even been discussed by anybody. Nobody would have gone. Oh, that, was a, that could have been a penalty then. As Freddie Lumberg said, we're going free kick, okay, set up your wall, set up defensive line, and crack on with the game. Yeah. What I will say about that one is if you look at the referee, David Coote, now I kind of feel sorry for him because he's clearly out of his depth. And oh, he is, must be know. thinking, he must be going to bed thinking, how the hell do I keep getting games where these controversial things keep happening to me? Well, one reason is probably because he's not very good. My second point is the VR referee at the time of yesterday's game. I can't remember the guy's name, but it's his first season in the Premier League. He's only refereed 15 top flight games. So my question is, it's a Monday night, last game of the week. Why have you got one of the most controversial, maybe not his fault, referees in the game, and then you've got the most inexperienced referee of the bunch in the VAR room? Why is a Mike Dean in there? Why is a Michael Oliver in there? Why is an Andre Marino in there? No, they might have refed the game in the weekend, but that doesn't mean they're not doing anything Monday night, do they? Put somebody else in the VAR. I just think they're setting it up to fail. And I felt sorry for the VRF because, you know, he's new. It must be a stressful job. And he's obviously just, his brain has just stopped working for some reason. And he's seen something. And, yeah, he's obviously given the pen. To be honest, I think it's the worst decision I've seen from Bar so far. Because it just clearly wasn't a penalty. That's a big call. That's a big call. Do you mention, actually, actually, it made me think, guys. Do you saying about... At the end of the day, there's, I don't quite understand why they don't get the retired referees to sit in there. Like, why does it have to be an active ref? The whole point is that they're not, you know, like, the reason people retire is because physically they can't cope with it. But guess what? VAR, you just sit in your house doing a thin. Can you agree more? Like, just put some X, X ones in there. Give me you Ray or Ray, in there, like. Yeah. It's Peter Walton available. You know I mean? Oh, yeah. Mark, Mark Clattenberg was in uh, Amazon Prime coverage. Yeah, he was fantastic. You know, Put him in there. He's at the stadium. Do you know what I mean? How would they put stadium. these blokes? Get them yeah. out for retirement. But then there's a big there's a big debate then about why on earth would I want to bring Hardware back into the Prem? <laughs> I mean, that's another kind of right. And the last thing on VAR, and it's going to be a nice little segue into the first game we're going to concentrate on. West Ham, Man United, an absolute game changer once again. The VAR decision. No. I personally, I, I was watching that game live and straight away I thought, oh, that's gone out. That's going to be brought back. I couldn't believe it wasn't brought back. Um, David Moyes is apoplectic about it. And in fairness to him, he's looking right over as well because he's standing on the touchline and he, he can see. Um, but was there, was the air right in that instance? Because there wasn't any clear and obvious error where you could say that has 100% gone into play. So, but was it, did it work there? Because of the question? Well, for me, this is such a anomaly. I haven't seen it happen before, to be honest. Not since VAR's come in. For me, the, the, the problem there is the linesman. He's so fixated on the offside. Like, the ball's coming so far away. Like, it's going 60 yards. Like, mate, why are you worrying about the offside? If he's going to be offside, VAR will pick it up. Like, he should be looking as the ball's coming, looking over his line. But at the same time, even for the linesman, it must be hard for him. Because, you know, he might not know where his feet die might be just off the line, just bend it up, whatever. And it, it must be quite hard to look at the same time. So it's, it's one of them, I think, like you said, it's, it's obviously changed the game and the swing of the game, and it's, it's hard, but it hasn't really happened before. And Like you said, I don't think VAR could intervene now because they can't sit there and go, that's 100% out. They can't exactly draw a line and be like, I can 100% say that. Draw a line for everything else, but... Ah, well, I know, but, you know, things like it, that hasn't happened before with VAR, I think, so... It's the wrong call. It was a bad call, but I can kind of understand why it wasn't given. 
not that it, there's any wiggle room really, but yeah, with all the factors, I can see why. Rob, do you think do you think it's just we put the West Ham one down to just look? You know, it's one of those things. Is that the range and where the VR mistake is just that, just a simple mistake that the VR couldn't really do anything about? Well, yes, but is it fair that it costs West Ham vital points? Right, I, I was watching the NFL last night, and there was uh, a play where a player stretched for a first down, and I went to a review, and I was just thinking. Why can't they just go to the review? Why can't they use the television cameras to their advantage, the referees? You see all the way, all the way in the NFL, they get these multiple cameras and they put put all the evidence together to come up with a decision there. Obviously, they ha- they haven't got that in the Prem right now. But you like implement something like that, okay? Just get cameras on the line. Get like get something on the line. Like yeah, but that's something to happen now from that mistake. I don't think you can blame VAR or the referee. In that yeah. specific game, West Ham Manu, because it's never really happened before. Yeah, it's gonna, it's gonna be so the VAR guys going it happens. The VAR's going, guys going, is it my am I meant to look for that? Is that is that my job? He's probably going, What am I meant to do? And you know, things happen so quick. They've scored, people celebrate and the game moves on. And I just think if, if it happens again, the exact same thing, then it's a problem. Now I think you just put it down to it's a mistake. Yeah, West Ham being hard done by. Okay, fair enough. If, if it was if it was to happen again, there'd be yeah. a massive uproar. The fact that they yeah, wouldn't course, they yeah. wouldn't have addressed it. Yeah. So okay, it is it is a bit of a freak occurrence. We haven't seen it, but it, they need to cover every you know single circumstance as much as they can. So from year on out, cover it. I but think. Another question of sorry is if the goal line technology surely they can use that for all lines, but then you bring it into play. You know, how far back are you going to go? Did something go out? You know, has it gone out to the byline? Because you could imagine Man City, the way they play, get to the byline, get to the, You're going to stop in the game even more by looking at these minute decisions. So, yeah, I think it's a topic for another time. I, I ask a question because I tend to agree with but I actually am going to stick up for VR with you, surprisingly, because I honestly think it is just one of those freak parts where you just go, well, you know, it, there was no clear of an obvious... You you couldn't clear and but this is the problem because they, you couldn't clearly and obviously say that had gone out. Yeah. So then they couldn't they couldn't rule it out. They couldn't overturn it. But the problem I've got more than anything would be, like all of a sudden that relies on the fact that we're taking this clear and obvious literally when they haven't been. Yeah. Because there have been clear and obvious things that they haven't given. Yeah. So, yeah. but I actually think on this occasion, you know, if you're going, you know, with common sense, I think, yeah, there wasn't enough evidence to say. No, that's got definitely gone out. No goal. Um, but what I was going to ask was as well with the manu, um, Bruno Fernandez and Marcus Rashford came off bench after he made a huge difference. Um, Bruno Fernandez has got 36 goal contributions in his 38 Man United appearances, which include 22 goals and 14 assists. Now that's five more than any other Premier League player since his arrival in January. My question to you, but would be. How good is Bruno Fernandes? Now, I ask that. In my mind, I think top tier, Kevin De Bruyne. And then up, you've got maybe one or two other players in that stratosphere. Then you've got that level below. Does, is Bruno Fernandes good enough to get into that Kevin De Bruyne tier? Or is he going below? I, I, I see what you're saying. There's another stat as well, because they were talking about Mesut Ozil. I think Fernandes is at like 2.3 chances per game since he's come to the Premier League. He's created 2.3 chances, which again is insane, considering he's only been here a year. Um, he's on the right trajectory. I wouldn't I wouldn't say right now that he's in the Kevin De Bruyne class, but he's very close. I mean, like you said, he came on and he literally just transformed the game. And he looks like the only leader that Man you have got. If I was there, I'd be giving him the captain's armband next season because he's the only person who looks like he's got anything about him. No, I don't really like him as a play, uh, as a person, to be honest, the way he goes about on the pitch. But I respect the talent that he has. And, yeah, he just runs the game from midfield. He scores goals, gets assists, wins fouls, wins kicks. So, yeah, I wouldn't say just yet. But if he carries on for another six months to 12 months, then, yeah, I think you, you have to say he's within that bracket. And, Rob, would um, West Ham, were they, how do you think they'd be feeling... I'm looking back on that. Was is that three points dropped, or you know, was it a fair result in the end? 
No, no, three points dropped. West Ham was sensational in the first half. And I think they look back and think, why did we not put them away in the first half? United was was so lucky to get into that half time at one 0 down, and then perfect scenario: Rashford and Bruno Fernandes come on and totally change the game. But West Ham they had so so many chances. Jared Bowen would like he was fantastic. You had Fornals hitting the post with that lovely little kind of just toe poke. If that goes in, I think it's a totally different game. I think you know, ah, that wasn't it. You went through one and then you rounded the keeper. Yeah, and then he just a guy who was just begging for a chance like that and just falls over. No, I know. I felt I felt there was a big um, classic Ole Gunnar Solskjaer kind of game where he's under pressure. They pluck a result out of nowhere. You think, right, you won't kick on from you now, and they'll probably more or less they'll either get a few wins now and then go back to being as they were, being back rubbish, or they go out to view Europe tonight, Champions League, maybe win on the weekend. And it's just, it's just the treadmill continues, and it? it's just, it just seemed very typical. All against us, to be honest. Just, just quick word on West Ham. I, I do think they need to put it in perspective because I think this is the best West Ham side I've seen for a while. Like to be honest, at the start of the season, I had them down the 17th, 16th position. I thought they'd really struggle, but fair play to them. I think they're in the top six, maybe top, top eight. You know, they've won some games. You know, they went to Anfield, didn't get embarrassed. They drew at Spurs. You know, drew with Man City. You know, games you expect them to lose two or three no every time. But uh, uh, fair play, they deserve a lot of credit. That's good. Yeah, I agree. They've had a difficult start. So, you know, I think if you're yeah. David Moyes, you're hoping pick a few wins up now when the fixtures ease up over Christmas. And they can they can look back at the first half of the season very pleased, can't they? It's like you're saying, they need to get a 40 points. They need to keep doing this now, season after season, and just stay in the mid-table, top yeah. 10, and then try and kick on them from there. Another team chasing top 10 this year is Arsenal. <laughs> now, they had the London, North London derby on the weekend. Um, but, floor's yours. Well, I mean, I've been quite um, quite level about my feelings on Spurs the last couple of weeks. But, I mean, you look at the last few games. You know, to beat Man City at home, who I've got down to win the league. Then you go away at Chelsea, which has notoriously been a really bad ground for us uh, to, win, uh, to get any results at. And it's, you know, to get a point at Stavrobridge, you take that all day and move on. And then obviously to beat uh, beat the old enemy at home, 2-0. I, I thought it's probably one of the best performances I've seen Spurs put in. Because in the first half, I thought the boys were just, they were brilliant. Every player knew exactly what they were doing. And we could have scored more, to be honest with you. Yeah, we scored two, but we could have scored more. And then to show the maturity in the second half, to just shut up shop. Now I understand you defended for 45 minutes. If the results went a different way, there would be questions. But some of the defending, like Harry Kane was in the box, heading balls, clear, chasing his heart out. You know, Bergwijn, I thought Bergwijn was absolutely phenomenal. As a winger, attacking winger as well, he likes to get forward. He tracked back so much to cover uh, Kieran Tyranny. And he stopped that. So Kieran Tyranny put a few crosses in. But that's all they did. That's all they did was put crosses in. Eric Dyer headed it away. Toby, Holberg was back there, Kane. And Arsenal just didn't look like they had a clue how to play football, to be honest with you. And, yeah, I think we should take care of Crystal Palace next uh, next weekend. And, obviously, the big ones against Liverpool. If we can get a positive result there against Liverpool, then I'd say we're in a real tight to this. But, yeah, it looks looks really good at the moment. You um, you touched on it there, but uh, Spurs have 50% of the ball. Um, obviously, and it's at home as well. Is that a worry at all? Or? Not at all. Not at all. And I'll tell you for why. Because the last five years we had Poch. I love Poch. He's a great manager. We had some great times. But first half, get the two goals. As Joseph said in his interview, why then would you go second half against Astro, who I know aren't playing well, but they've still got some good players. Aubameyang on his day, his class, with Leanne, you know, Sabeos. Why on earth would you go out there and try and get the third goal? Just, uh, just what's it prove? It doesn't prove anything. You're 2-0 up, get your three points, move on to the next game. That, that's the mentality. Whereas I think in past seasons, it would have been 2-0 up, especially if the fans were there as well. I think the fans not being there might have helped a little bit. But I, I got no problem with it because I've, I've watched this for the last five years under Podge, and we may have ended up drawing that game or even losing it. So I've got no qualms whatsoever. We're having 30% of the ball, winning 2-0 and moving on. It's fine. 
my final thing then, but would be Serge Aurier right back. Oh, well, uh, I, it's the same thing with Eric Dyer. I don't think they're obviously playing well, don't get me wrong, but the system is really, really helping them play to their, I wouldn't say potential, to, the, to their limits. Because Eric Dyer, you put him in Man City's team or Liverpool or somebody who plays a bit more expensive, he will look average. But the fact that he's got basically four or five players around him at all times, you know, he looks like a world-class centre-back. And you know, I think most players would look that if they had that sort of cover. So no, I'll give him his credit. He hasn't, he hasn't done anything stupid. He still gives the odd foul away here and there. But you know, lots of players do that. But uh, no, he's looked, he's looked all right. So, yeah, we'll see. It's a long season, so we'll see. Yeah, I agree. I think it is. I think, like you said, I think it's a long season. It's, you know, we've been to see is this just a purple patch or, you know, have Spurs really turned the corner? Um, same with Mourinho, I think. There's a lot of love in at the moment. I think get through December, you know, it's a tough, it's, fixtures aren't that tough this year, actually, in terms of, as they normally are, but still a few games on the trot, you know, Spurs get through them, then they can really start looking. Yeah. Now, Rob, um, this brings on to Arsenal now. Back in September, a wise man called the Arsenal front three the best <laughs> front three in the league after they scored three goals at Craven Cottage. Since then, they have scored seven goals in ten games. Well, wow. wise men can also be fools. At what stage? Now, they've scored, they've scored ten goals in eleven games, right? They've also, okay, which is one of the worst, obviously, in the league in terms of goal scored. They've also got a better defensive record than Liverpool, Man U and Leicester. No. Arteta, is this an Arteta problem or is this just simply Arsenal not playing well and just in a bit of a rut? Well, past couple of weeks I wanted to say it was Arsenal not playing well. Uh, I think I'm more lent lent towards it being an Arteta problem. Um, that way, yeah, watching that game Sunday, I, I've never seen an Arsenal side kind of just not necessarily look dejected, but they just didn't seem seem to want to offer anything. Like thirty uh, percent possession Spurs had, I'm like, oh come on, this isn't Barcelona versus Celtic. Like you know, it's not as if Spurs are the underdogs here. I mean, the like Spurs. Spurs defensively second half, they're inviting them to come and have a go, just because they just because they knew we're going to win this. And Arsenal, I was, it, it was a very frustrating, frustrating game to watch. I'm not particularly like a fan of their system at the moment. Like I, I don't like the fact you've got uh, Bellerin out to the right and Tini on the left. Look, just just go solid back four and then adjust whatever you have in the middle and up top. Um, I said a couple of weeks back in our pre- like, season predictions that I, I had Arsenal finishing higher than they did last season. I think they finished seventh last season. I had them finishing sixth. I want to retract that statement because Arsenal at the moment, goodness, they, they could be finishing the, the wrong half of mid-table. You know? Yeah. Some worrying times ahead. If you're an Arsenal fan, I, I feel for you. Do you know? Do you know what really worries me? If I was an Arsenal fan, uh, mm. Thomas Partey is sold to you as this no-nonsense centre mid who is going to come in and he's going to solidify you. He's going to make you harder to beat. He's going to bring a bit of class to him as well. And then when you see him walking off mid mid game, and then Spurs break and Spurs score. And that is a guy you brought in for big money who was meant to solidify you and make you harder to beat. I think that just sums up their recruitment. I think it sums up the attitude of the players. I think it sums up the attitude of the club in general, where it's just, it's just they're acting like a big club at the moment, and they are a big club. However, their stock has fallen so much in the last few years. And even when even when they weren't great, they and the Wenger, they always held themselves to a principle of we play good football, we're good to watch, we'll blood youngsters. You look at them now, I think Arteta's completely betrayed his own principles at the moment. Yeah. The last thing I would have called Michael Arteta coach. He's been <laughs> yeah. look where he's been to start with, who he's been with. Yeah. 
it looks as if they're afraid. You know, when you see Pat, they walk across like a mid-game. I honestly think, and either of you can chip in here, I think it's almost indefensible. Yeah. I don't care. If, the only reason I won't do doing that is if he's having a fit. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, to be honest, I, I'm a bit fooled as well because I think I, I might have picked him on a draft uh, a few weeks ago. Because um, I would have thought he's a Diego Simeone guy, a player. You know, he's come from Atletico Madrid. They play a certain way. They got a certain mentality. I thought he would have brought that over, but to walk off the pitch, and let's be honest, his leg wasn't enough. He, he obviously like pulled something out, you know, whatever. And with what I think there was like twenty seconds left, thirty seconds left. All you've got to do is just stand in the middle of the pitch. You put the it was a four on three, or it could have been a four on three. You put someone off, they don't score. You one 0 completely different second half. But yeah, to to walk off and then be pushed back on and then to jog two yards and stop. Yeah, it's um, it's a sad indictment for Arsenal because you know obviously they I don't like Arsenal, but you know the way it's going, it's just pitiful to be honest. The way where they look, uh, I think I just think it, it summed them up as a, I think it summed up perfectly yeah. how they are at the moment. You know that this is your Patrick Vieira, and he's walking off mid-game. And what I couldn't understand as well is he's walked off, or he's walking towards Arteta. And it's not even like the ball's out of place. It's not even like it's a corner and the ball's gone. It's a live game. Yeah. Yeah. He, he might have thought they were about to score or something because no, they were on the attack and they looked at a decent position. But he even that, have, isn't it? Yeah, he you, must have just thought, not... oh, we're going to score now. Oh, it's going to be a corner at least. So I'm just going to walk off. But, yeah. It's, it's, it's unforgivable, in my opinion. It's, uh, it's indefensible. But he will play, though. That, that's the problem. He has to play because he's been brought in for 45 million. He's apparently an Arteta signed in. You know, they're not going to burn him off now after two months late. So, yeah, there's everything. You know, Jacques are playing again. You know, what he did last year with the fans when he got subbed, all that. You know, you still keep him at the club. You know, yeah. We could go on for hours about Arsenal, but they're just a mess. They are, they are a mess. And you, you feel like it could go a lot worse before it gets better for them. Yeah, Roy Keane joked in it. Oh, they shouldn't go down. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he joked at the time, but <laughs> they don't improve soon. They, they're going to be a mid table team. Two men who would make an instant impact on Arsenal's team would be John Henderson and Ginny Ronaldo. How good were they both, Rob, on Sunday night? A joy to watch. A joy to watch. I, I've never been more in love with this Liverpool team than I have for a, a long time. Love is always, a, you know, it's also at a high. But, yeah, like going into Wolves, I was, I was quite anxious. I was thinking, look, I don't know what... We're going to set up defensively. Uh, I'm always worried about the Damatriore, although I'm more worried when he when he comes off the bench. Uh, and it's it's quite surprised to see him start there, but I was like, okay, I'm I was worried about Wolves. They're, they are an attacking team; they can cause troubles. But wow, it was such a nice feeling to be shocked by a Liverpool team. They were fantastic. Um, you know, got lucky with the first goal with Conor Cody, a- Agent Cody. <laughs> foolishly uh, assisting Mo Salah but I, yeah Wolves didn't really threaten that much and it, it, it was great to see like that I think Podence had like a little cheeky chip and Keevan Kelleher the look was a great save fantastic save him to come in you know make his Champions League debut midweek make his Premier League debut this <clears throat> uh, this this weekend oh I think from a Liverpool fan it's uh it's it's lush. It's fantastic to see. To to play devil's advocate, because I was of the same opinion of Rob. I really thought Wolves. I know they're missing Jimenez, but the rest of the team was full strength. I really think they missed the trick there. They missed an opportunity. You know, you got Nico Williams, who was not great defensively, even though he did all right. You got a young goalkeeper making his Premier League debut, and who else am I missing? Somebody else was in there. Or Curtis Jones as well, youngster as well. You're thinking those three guys, and then you got. Adama Chori going against probably the best left-back in the world, Andy Robson. And he doesn't even bother going over to Nico Williams until the second half. And I don't get why Pudence was up front. They should have started off Fabio Silva. I know he's young, but he's a striker at the end of the day. You've got to start him. Um, yeah, I just saw Wolves, especially after a few results they've had. They really, they just didn't seem like they were up for it. I think they were beaten before they got into the pitch. They thought, oh, we're at Anfield, you know, uh, in the night, night game. There's fans back in the stadium and they didn't even throw a punch. And throughout Liverpool, 
on the other hand, then to beat four nil. I mean, and they didn't even look as if they were out of second gear. To be honest with you, they looked like an absolute breeze for them. So, yeah, Liverpool. As a Spurs fan who are fighting for the league, it's quite scary to see them brush Wolves aside four nil with three people missing. It was up. I think uh, it was a very positive night for it, but I think you incorporated. I think we mentioned about Nico Williams there. I'm, I'm not his biggest fan, but um, in fairness, we picked up a stupid book in early on. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and then you weren't doing anything at all. Are they going to run that in? And like you said, they didn't. They sent it down at all in the second half after him. Yeah, it's too late then. But I think what was brilliant was you see the work of the midfielders to cover and always double up on him. You see Henderson, you see Wijnaldum. And the one thing I say about Curtis Jones, I don't think you can put him in that bracket now of youngster. He is now a fully-fledged first-team player. Yeah. That is, I would have no issues anymore with putting Curtis Jones in, in any game with the midfield because he is that good. I think Curtis Because what I didn't think he had and what he's shown now is that the, is the, the intelligence and the understanding of what to do without the ball. Yeah. Like, in that game at times... Wijnaldum became Dutch Wijnaldum, who is pressing on. I, for his goal, you saw it. He had another few chances where Curtis Jones stayed back. Then there was Henderson and they were just interchanging. John Henderson, I, I honestly think he's almost, I think he's unbelievable. I will make a statement now and I'm going to need to word it carefully. Okay. <laughs> I'll take it. I, I know how annoyed uh, Burke will get with this. Um, I actually think John Henderson is a better captain than Steven Gerrard was Liverpool. Now, clearly he's not a better player, clearly. But as a captain, as the, as the man on the pitch, as the face of the team, as the leader of the team, I think on and off the pitch, John Henderson is a... If you could... If you could hand-pick a captain and make it, it would look something like John. I think he's incredible. And when he's not there, the, the lack of energy, the lack of drive that Liverpool team can have when he's not in there. Um, and I think, you know, he, he, like Nico Williams all of a sudden looks far more solid with Henderson right by him. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's... Um, I don't think it's a surprise that that team plays well when Henderson plays well. Yeah, no, I... To be honest, I never rated Hendo. Never rated him. Look at me, I'm even calling him Hendo because you would all call him Hendo all the time. Yeah, all right, Jimmy. I'm, I'm, I'm involved now. But no, I, I, I've watched, because he had two assists on the weekend, which I think went a bit unnoticed. And yeah, some of his passing is just, it's unbelievable. If he was a different nationality, I think the feelings towards him in the press would be a lot, lot different. There'd be a lot more praise to him. But no, as, as somebody who doesn't spoil his ball, I can, I can see where you're coming from. He does look like picture captain that you would have for a top top team so yeah I'd agree I think there's some bloke called Tia got to come back in as well so okay. he's meant <laughs> to be alright <laughs> so but no it was a pod it was a I think it was a decent weekend of football but I think the major takeaway were, was for me anyway fans back um, I also mentioned there's a at least four muscle injuries this weekend um, three <laughs> players went off in the Burnley Everton game the early kickoff, just to let you know, boys. That's how my read that. All dead. Should we do a, an Instagram post every week for your spreadsheet? Yeah. So, yeah. there we are. Chris Wilder still has got only one point. Hey, exactly. He's got to come in. He won't be He won't be here in the new year. I'd be surprised. They carry on going the way they're going. I know he's done a lot for that club, but oof, it's hard. Know, it? It's hard to keep it. I've seen people get sacked for less. So that's fair. That's fair. But fans are back, and it's only going one way, hopefully, with a vaccine. So it's a positive weekend. Now that brings us on to our second segment. This week's draft has come from you, uh, Luke. Am I right? Well, yeah. So, do you want to explain the question? And Rob, you've got a uh, question. You have got the question to dictate the order. Yeah. So. It was just kind of off the top of my head. So players who have surprised us so far this season. Now, this can be in a positive fashion, which I think most of us have gone for. Or if you want to change your mind at the last minute, 
it can be a negative. So we'll see who people pick. Over to Rob to do the question. Fantastic. Uh, so along the theme of players who surprised us, I'm going to take you back to the 2017-2018 season where a certain Mo Salah broke out and scored 32 goals. So determine the draft order. Obviously, I will be third, but to determine who goes first between you two. You both have a guess each. I'll be the closest wins. In that season of 2017-2018, what was Mo Salah's shooting accuracy in percentage? I'm going to go to Sims first, as uh, you have got him in your fantasy team. I don't even know what would be a good percentage. Like, what's a normal percentage? I, I remember he missed loads of chances, though, when he was sat like first couple of years. Even now, like, you're quite wasteful at the start, but he just took so many shots. Surely, for a top striker, it would be somewhere 30 to 40 percent, something like that. So, percentage of what? Shots? His uh, shooting accuracy. So, his shots on target, his shots on target from shots, yeah. Oh, I'm gonna say on target 27%. Right, to you and over to you, but what's your answer? It's a tough one because I never kind of look at this sort of stuff, I never digitize it in my mind to remember later. Um, 27, I'll say 34.5. Well, you're both quite a bit off. But is closest. Oh, really? But you get the number of his. Yeah, forty-seven percent of his shots were on target. Oh, a very high percentage. It's crazy. So, but oh. only twelve and a half percent off. Sims, you were twenty percent off. Sorry, Mo. <laughs> if you're listening. <laughs> Sorry. Right then, over to you, but start us off. Pick number one. Right. Okay. Got a lot of players here. I don't know whether I want to be. Spurs specific or spread the love. Um, tell you what, I'll spread the love a bit. I'll spread the love now. Sim's got a theory that Bielsa is getting a lot of love for no reason. He's up for coach of the year. I don't know how he is, but there we are. Um, I think it's fair to say that his team has been a bit of a breath of fresh air in the Premier League. They attack, and I'd love to watch him every time they're on TV. There's bound to be goals. Um, now, one of the players in midfield who I think is central to their play, and it's not the England international, it is the Polish guy in midfield, and that is Click. I think he t- makes our team tick. I haven't seen him play before, to be honest. I don't know if you just watched the in the championship. Didn't know much about him. He started off with a few goals this season, scored a few penalties, a few assists. And yeah, just like the way he plays, he's tidy with the ball, gets forward, defends well all around the pitch so yeah click is my number one pick i like it that's a good pick my i think my theory with the elster is more you get love for for maybe too much picking up but maybe like 10 games in it's like just calm down and let's <laughs> see him do it again i think that's my that's my only thing with him I well, like he's coach him. he's nominee for coach of the year so like, he's obviously you know, done something like right i want to make that clear i'm not anti Bielsa. i'm just not pro pro Belsa. Um, <laughs> now, my first one has recently been made captain of his club. And the reason I put him on um, this list is because I always liked him as a footballer. Um, but I think one of his ex managers called him, he's a perfect son in law because he's just polite, no nonsense, but he's very soft. You know, there's nothing, there's no bite to him. Um, and I didn't really see him becoming anything other than this team's player. Like, I can never see him anywhere else. Um, but he's adapted this year. He's, he's really led his team well. Um, he's a very good set-piece taker, which is a big clue. Um, so I have gone for James Ward pros. Um, my only worry with him is I'm not quite sure where he ends up. So, obviously, he's reached captaincy at Santa now. But, like, I don't see him being able quick enough or agile enough to go to that next level. That'd be my only worry. But I think he's been really good this year as captain and he led them really well. He gets my pick. Lovely pick number two. Now comes to Bowen to t- 
tear it all up. Here we go. So, you know, uh, I'm going to go Kevin, go to a player which I thought he was quite a donkey. Uh, <laughs> think of that as you will. But when I, think, when I think of this guy, I don't think of this guy as being just a great centre-back. I'm not saying he's a great centre-back right now, but he's having a good season and he has surprised me. And this weekend he got a goal. And at Stamford Bridge, in front of the fans, Kurt Zuma pops up with his fourth goal of the season. And I'll give credit to him. Of that Chelsea defence, he has been uh, he has been integral to that. I know Thiago Silva has, has helped bring that uh, bring great performances to that Chelsea team, but Kurt Zuma has been in there from the start of the season. May have missed like one game, I, I think. But he has been absolutely incredible. Like, And when I think of... Chelsea defender scoring goals is only one name that comes to mind. It's John Terry. I'm not saying he's going to be the next John Terry, but any Chelsea fans, you may I'll be smiling, smiling right now as Kurt Zuma could be the next French John Terry. <laughs> I'm not saying he's John Terry, but I'm going to bring John Terry's name up in conversation about him. That's right. <laughs> and now it double, doubles back to me. Um, I do have a name, but I'm going to leave that as an honourable mention for later. Uh, I'm going to go with the, the biggest shock for me. Uh, a guy the last season got 13 goals in 36 appearances. And he's only two goals off that right now. And for, for a team, I think the last time this team had a great striker or a striker that was scoring goals was at least three or four seasons ago. Uh, and he's been integral to their, to their attack. And he's now he's on eleven goals now. Got another one of the weekend. Dominic Calvert Lewin getting England caps. He's he, he's he's been unreal, and it's it, it's it feels weird because when I see his game, I'm just like, where's this come from? Like, I didn't see much of this or enough of this last season, last season or the previous seasons. He is, you know. He's up there with one of the, you know, some of the best centre forwards in the Prem right now. The way he plays, great holding, holds the ball up well, great centre forward, fantastic in the air, and he has really shocked me this season. So, Kurt Zuma and Dominic Calvert Lewins are my picks. So back to you, Sims. Nice. Now this is a real. I think you'd be really shocked by. I don't think you. I don't think you see this one coming. But there's a player. Um, who I can keep my eye on him because he caught my eye during after lockdown, and I actually think he could be the next one who gets plucked from obscurity and plays for a big club. I genuinely think this player could end up at a big club. Um, I think he's strong. I think he's. I think he's. His passing ability is really underrated, and I think that's partly down to who he plays for. But I think he's a good dribbler of the ball. He's an intelligent footballer. He doesn't mind having it back back to goal and then he can turn and spin and, and dribble with it. But he can also put a tackle in. And mine is Brighton and Hove Albion midfielder Eves Basuma. Oh, the mid. Now, I honestly could see him at a bigger club where they sign him and everyone goes, oh my God, who's this? And then he ends up being a perfect system player. Um, he reminds me a bit of Ginny Wijnaldum a bit, where I just think he does a lot of work, maybe that's not as glamorous, he's safe with the ball, you can trust him, um, and yeah, I, I definitely keep playing him, Basuma. Do you know what the crazy thing is? I don't think that's an outrageous pick, because I was watching the game last night, and I was on, ooh, Basuma, I haven't really watched this guy play before, mm, and, yeah. I, and I agree, I agree, I, I, I think there's a lot of Brighton players you could say that about. I started tracking him, oh, start the season, I don't know why, so we came up, like, and then I started watching him a bit and I think, oh, it's all right, this guy. He's all right. Felt like Michael Edwards did it for Liverpool. I just plucked in people from nowhere. <laughs> Finish us off, but pick you number six. Well, like I said before we jumped on, I had a lot of players on my list. Um, I did have DCR, I did have uh, James Wadprost. But I'm going to round it off with a Spurs player because obviously I have to. Now, this guy, as I Sim said, was plucked. From a lower team, and to be honest with you, when we bought him, I thought, mm, 
seems like a bit of a third, fourth choice buy because of the pandemic. I'm got much money. He's a bit cheap, so we'll bring him in. And his first game for the club, he had an absolute shocker. Now, I will tell, I will say, he did have a shocker along with all the other players on the pitch. But since then, he has been slowly growing as a leader for this club. And he has been putting in performances that probably, when you look now, go, he is an absolute snip at 15 million. This is, of course, Pierre Emil Hoiberg. He's been fantastic. You look at him and you look, you know, he's got all the tattoos, he's got the barbed wire around his arm, thinking a bit of a thug, a bit of a loose cannon. But some of his play, especially in the North London derby, he was clearing the ball from the box, he was heading balls out, winning tackles, winning fouls, making fouls when you have to, breaking with the ball from midfield. I thought his all-round performance. And the best thing about him is his mentality. He's an absolute dog. He's an absolute dog on the pitch. And Jose Mourinho loves that about him. And I also love it about him now. He's turning into one of my favourite players. So, Holberg rounds out the draft. Is that my there? my list. So, to, to, to round it up, we got the Polish powerhouse, Click. The English polite house, or if that's a word, but James <laughs> Ward-Prowse. The father-in-law's favourite, uh, Kurt Zuma, the French John Terry. Dominic Calvert-Lewin doesn't need anything. Uh, I can't remember what nationality Basuma is. He's some sort of African, isn't he? Was he French? Ghanaian. Ghanaian. There we go. The Ghanaian genie Wijnaldum. Yves Basuma. I'm making a mockery of this list. You're just renaming everyone who's been mentioned. That's your honourable mentions. I thought you were going to mention people. Yeah, there are people Come next. And then Pierre Emil Hoiberg, he doesn't deserve anything yet. <laughs> honorable mentions. There was a goalkeeper that made my list Good. Emiliano Martinez. Well, no. Yeah. Sorry. So, hold on. No. I'll tell you why. Since he's been there, Aston Villa have conceded 0.32 less goals a game. Gone from 1.76 to 1.44. So that's Impact. a team goal game, man. Yeah. He's not that good, is he? Ah, oh, you you are cutthroat when it comes to keepers. Well, you are cutthroat. Just stop the goal going in, and he's going to keep one game. So, no. Did you think when... it was one of your best transfers? Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, you did. Uh, another honourable mention. This is for Burke, who's not with us, but a, a very special player for it. He's not him. bad, by the way. He's fine. He's yeah, just... I was going to say, you make yourself like he's fine. <laughs> Tariq Lamptey. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Any honourable mentions for you two? I had a few. I had, obviously, Big Pat. Patrick Bamford has been wonderful for me this season in the draft. Uh, Wesley Fofana. Yes. Uh, I think he's been good. Obviously, Diego Yota. Ferran Torres. I called it the start of the season. Fair play. He's done pretty well. Um, Yannick Vestergaard scored last night. Looked decent. And one of the Sims were like, is Che Adams, who I think has stepped up in planning his uh... <laughs> in his, in his oh, sorry, did not come through. In his absence. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry, went through. <laughs> in his absence, right. Well, we will, as you know tonight, it is Ronaldo versus Messi, and that's kicking off right about now. However, so what we do, we will do the blind question. But we will set a timer of seven minutes. Now, you might think that's a random time, because it is. So, <laughs> this week's blind question comes from who? Well, I did it the week before. Um, I did it last week. So, it'll be between you two. So, we'll make it quick. Seeing as Stims is the host, I'll, I'll do it. All right, got it. Well, that is very lucky because I did not prepare one. Yeah, I thought as much. Telling your voice. Um, right then. So we we mentioned a couple of names earlier of managers, but uh, so my question is, uh, which clubs this season are which clubs can you see that are going to be changing managers at any point this season? Who are the kind like the main ones that come to mind? And we should start now. First of all, I think it's really harsh that you have decided to ask the sack question when Burke isn't here. Yeah. 
There's a guy who actually loves to talk about people getting sacked. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he makes a living out of looking at people's performances and deciding whether they're hitting targets or not. So. Uh, look, I was not preparing another question. This has been in the bank for three weeks. So I was like, I'm whipping it out now. But go Good ahead. Back. Chris Wilder, eh? That's what you said. Yeah. Chris Wilder, safe as I was is, he is gone by January, 100%. I, about- I don't see him. See, I, I think he's safe. I think he really is safe. I think they could go down and he's safe. Oh, I don't. In a, in a pandemic year, money is tight. Desperation will kick in. They'll see, right, if we make a change, maybe we stay up. But the way it's looking, if he, if he stays, they're 100% going down. So I think, yeah, he's done wonders for the club to get them there. But at the end of the day, once you're in the Prem, all you want to do is stay there. And I think they will push the panic button. You never know, I might get a big Sam in, someone like that. Never know. I think Big Sam, but a lot of clubs. <laughs> I can see Big Sam and Sheffield. I, I think he'd do okay there because they're quite defensive anyway. So I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, Any movement on Sean Dyche? No. no I, to be honest, I, I think they would. I thought they yeah. did pretty well on the weekend. I, I know they didn't win the game, but first half especially, they were. I thought they were really good. But they actually showed that they tried to play a bit of football. More perhaps not him getting sacked, but him walking away maybe? Maybe at the end of the season, if, if that was to happen, but I can't see it. It doesn't seem that's ever going to walk away. Another one to keep on the radar, although they play really good football and they have an absolutely lovely kit, is Graham Potter. Because at the end of the day, you can play as much good football as you want. But if you're not getting results, you know, the ball aren't going to put up with it. You know, they should have won a lot of games this season. I know they've had a tough start. They have had a tough start, I will say that. But they, they really need to start picking up some right, results. I think, I think there'll be leniency because of that start. Like you, th- you think back to that United game, like how much of a crush that would have been to them. I don't mind. You look at the table; it's starting to be. I think Brighton are in the middle of two tiers within the league. There's obviously the teams below them: your Fulham's, your West uh, West Brom's teams are got, and then you've got other teams starting to pull away a little bit. So yeah. they, they need to start getting results. You mentioned uh, West Brom there, Slavin Bilic. I think I I I think he is. Not good for the club right now. No, I just don't think he's a Premier League manager. To be honest with you, I, no, you know, he's had enough chances in the Premier. Yeah, he's had enough chances in the Premier, in my opinion. And he has, has he really done that well? He's had the odds, good season here or there, but consistently, I don't think he's he's up to it. To be honest, so and West Brom are one of them clubs you can see in a couple of months. Maybe they within touching distance. Maybe they're sacking, trying to get something in, get that bounce back. Yeah. Is there any managers maybe you could see going off to a bigger club? Uh, Ralph? Yeah. Hassel, maybe. No, no, is the one for me. No, Pedro Santos. I think he'd be on some clubs where he does abroad to go away, maybe some Spanish clubs. You know, Real Madrid, they're not doing very well, are they? Maybe a bit of a left field choice there. Oh, bloody hell, yeah. God. Yeah. Never know. He's doing wonders, of course. Uh, what, what about uh, Scotty P? My arch nemesis at the moment in fantasy <laughs> football. I think a lot depends on how they stay, uh, how it goes. If they go down without a fight, then obviously, yeah, he goes. But if they were to go down having put up a real fight, I could see him being kept. So, yeah. do you see. So, which, which managers do you see that don't, not, don't have a chance to make it to next summer? Uh, Slavan Solskjaer yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, well, I, well tonight's going to be play a huge part in that yeah I, I, but I think Solskjaer's probably gone I think Pilic is probably gone like Brett said um, Arteta's not far off the way he's going I'm not saying they will get rid of him but you know if they carry on being 14, 15 16 mm. you know, a club like Arsenal can't be in that sort of position and um, a club like Arsenal, where the the fans are, they go heavy on the boat on the on on the club. It's another it's, left field one is possibly um, maybe Ancelotti. You know they've lost five of the last six, and they don't look like they're going to get a result anytime soon. I don't know. I think he I, came in. Did I a can good see it. Turning one in the clubs where they they sack managers because they think they should be higher and they're trying to plough in some money. I I don't know. I'm man. not saying a lot, but. 
I think he's too big. I think Ancelotti's too big for him to sack. Yeah. Like, it's different when it's like a Martinez. But, I mean, I think Everton, I don't think anyone would be able to take him down, I don't think, personally. I obviously don't. You know I love Carlo, but... We've got one minute left, so just to tell you, Man United have actually conceded within five minutes out in Germany. So, Soska, I think, will be in real trouble. I'd be surprised if he gets in the season. I really do. Even if they were to go through tonight, I think the lack of identity, you know, he's had long enough now. Especially if they get spanked on the weekend as well against Man City, which is very possible. Exactly. It is, definitely. So, thank you very much, gentlemen. I will leave it there, and we will all go and watch Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo for possibly the final time. Enjoy the two greatest of all times, the goats. Can you even have two goats? That's another thing. That's something that's on my radar. Can you feel the time if there's more than one? I'll accept that they're going to be two goats. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know, but I think we'll go and watch it. We'll enjoy it. For all our listeners out there, stay safe. Thank you, Bets. Thank you, Rob. Peace out. Cheers, Take boys. Care. All the best.